0: to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock, People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick.
1: Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster planning, business continuity, crisis management, emergency response, and anything that can touch those realms. As always, I'd like to remind everyone if there's a topic that you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America webpage uh, for Preparing for the Unexpected, and there's a button underneath um, uh, the the graphic there that says send host a note, and I do get all emails. I do respond to all of them, and uh, we'll see about finding somebody to talk about your subject or getting you on the show to talk about a subject. So please feel free to do so. This is a show for you to get uh, awareness out there. So don't hesitate if something comes to your to mind or you have an idea. Um, as I've mentioned unbelievably amount of uh, times on the show, I am an avid reader and I love going through books to learn new new ideas, new ways of thinking, new Um, uh, hot topics that are out there especially related to business continuity and disaster planning etc and I came across a book uh, not too long ago Um, and today I have one of the authors on the show Um, it is a uh, I would call it a kind of a hot topic now uh, especially in the last year year and a half two years or so it's uh, definitely cropped up a lot Um, it's in the news quite a bit uh, so I am looking forward to to uh, this topic and learning some more about it. The book is called Active Shooter, Preparing for, Preparing for and Responding to a Growing Threat. And I'd like to welcome to the show one of the authors of that book, Mr. David Shepard. David, welcome to the show. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. I just wanted to clarify before we go too far. You're a co-author of this, correct? You have someone who worked with you on this?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, Kevin Doss uh, lives in
1: Pennsylvania. He was one of the co-authors on the book. Ah, well, it's uh, it's full of uh, lots of interesting information. I know I've gone through it, um, but before we we start talking about the book and the the topic, active shooter, can you kind of give us a bit of a, uh, a a biography of yourself? You know what you've done in the past, how you got to where you are, and how how the book came about.
2: Well, one of the things I was. Um, FBI Special Operations Counterterrorism. I worked on uh, running SWAT teams, um, team leader, team coordinator, uh, firearms programs, uh, counterterrorism programs. Then after I retired, I went to work for the Venetian here in Las Vegas, Nevada. So the Sands Corporation, which we have Venetian, Palazzo, Sands Expo, and places in Macau, China. So I worked a lot of programs and actually represented uh, as co-chairman the casinos, all the casinos in the United States. And sit on White House Working Group for Technology and did a lot of programs. And then from there, started my own company with my partner the last 11 years. And one of the things I was able to do under contract, being able to take and rewrite the Active Shooter Workshop Program for the Department of Homeland Security. And we taught that in 40 different, uh, 40 different cities in a little over six months. And from there, I rewrote the programs again, because under Run, Hide, Fight, which you hear, which we use quite often down here um, in the United States, it doesn't work in all settings, because a senior citizen can't run, and children can't fight, and people are disabled, they can't always take care of themselves. So we have to look how to protect our people. We protect our people during a fire. As a responsible business owner, you have to protect the people under your duty of care. It does not change on active shooting. So that's part of one of the reasons I wrote the book with uh, Kevin. And my undergraduate degrees in business, and I have um, two master's degrees, and they're in business as well, and one's criminal justice. And I look at business, In that book we went into each actually looking at recovery, response, and a lot of different programs to tie back into business programs.
1: Wow. And, you know, you find time to write a book. That's pretty good.
2: (laughs) I get about 400 Um, emails a day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I know that feeling. I think quite a few of us do, (laughs) unfortunately. So So, um, to the book, Active Shooter, what is an active shooter? Because this is relatively, you know, for, for many business continuity people and disaster response people, a new term. It may not be in other areas, but for our industry it is. So, can you define what an active shooter is? Well, of course. Uh, actually, an active shooter, there's two different definitions of an active
2: shooter that law enforcement use. And I worked in law enforcement, that's where the FBI, but I was also sheriff's office in uh, Utah. And an active shooter is a person that is actually shooting at that particular time. And people are taking and responding to a shooting in progress. Now, an active shooter defined by a, uh, the government, whether it be the Department of Homeland Security the FBI, is a person that's in a confined area that has no rhyme or reason to shooting and just starts shooting at people. Now, the difference between an active shooter and an active threat, an active threat is a person who uses something other than a gun. So that person can use a mm-hmm. knife, a machete, a car to take and attack people at the same time, and that's an active threat. And that happened in Pennsylvania as an active threat because the guy was using a knife. Same thing with Iowa State, the guy was using a car and a knife, so that turned into an active threat.
1: And we had that in Toronto, um, just down the road from where I am, um, beginning of the year where a car went down the street as well. So, right. uh, unfortunately, I'm familiar with that.
2: Well, actually, we've taken and putting up a lot of ballards here, and ballards are the ones to be able to take and stop a vehicle traveling a certain speed, certain time, depends on why you have it. And we use them in Las Vegas. But actually, there's five different reasons we put the ballard up. It's not necessarily because a person is an active shooter wants to plow in the crowd and starts shooting, which we've seen before in, in Europe. That's one reason, but also at the same time, we have people that drinks too much, and we don't want them to drive them off into people. We have people that have medical conditions. We have people that are just not paying attention because they're on their cell phone and texting or whatever. And then we have some people that are just vindictive, and that's
1: what they want to do. Yes, unfortunately. um, And it's interesting you mentioned the text and the cell phone. So no matter matter what laws get passed, you still tend to see that a lot. And you can always tell when you're at a red light and the car just sits there for a while. You know they're just texting away, but they're the kind of people that can cause uh, problems as well. Oh,
2: yeah. so what, yeah. for, well, a lot of states for, have hands-free, and a lot of times with what we have down here, it's not texting as much. People are trying to use the uh, hands-free modes on their phones. I mean, several states have that. Nevada has that definitely, and so does California. So, I mean, a lot of times I can have, take a phone call there, but, you know, you don't really call out. You just answer phones coming in. But yeah, keep your hand, both hands, both hands on the wheel.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I do the same thing, press a press a button uh, you know, by my ear and it starts. Not Bluetooth, just headphones, you know. So you know, that's the way it should be done. So with, with um, active shooters, what prompts someone to, like what, what's the motivation and triggers for an active shooter? Let, 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 let's, let's define how we get in that situation. Or how it comes about? One of
2: the things that happened right off the bat, you look at an active shooter, and whether it be in the shooting in a Pulse nightclub, whether it be here in Las Vegas, whether it be in Oregon with the shooting in the college, whether it be what's going on in Chicago or the church in Texas. You know, we get into a certain point. Those are active shooters to start in. But there's also other active shooters. We've had them going into uh, UPS, FedEx, and California shoot. We've had them going into doctor's offices and shoot surgeons and hospitals. The same thing, attorney's offices. So it comes back to one particular thing. Everybody wants to know why he did it. Why is the person the shooter? Well, actually, if you look in the book, there's 56 different areas we have to look at. Whether it be mm-hmm. a person that's on a grudge, whether a person that's vengeance, whether a person that's mentally incapacitated in some way, shape, or form, whether a person's been drinking, there's 56 different type things you have to look at. And a lot of those we'll never know. Like the shooter here in Las Vegas, we have no clue why the guy actually shot. In Oregon, the guy mm-hmm. before he shot people in the college asked him what religion there were. But they have anything to show he was connected with any kind of hate group or any kind of... Uh, international terrorism group? No. So there's not always a reason. The one we had not too long ago in a hospital in um, Boston, the guy turned around and killed a surgeon. The surgeon is the one Mm -hmm. that was the surgeon for his mother that died. So he went back later and killed the doctor. Does it take one particular time? As a person that's going to be able to do that, is it going to be a short period of time before they do it? Nope. The shooting we had in Virginia the guy that got fired from the radio, uh, television station went back two years later to kill a cameraman and a reporter in the field. In the <laughs> shooting we just had uh, two months ago, the guy went after the doctor to killed his mom as a surgeon, how he looked at it. Lost her on the operating table 20 years later. 20 so years later? It. Wow. So wow. look at this. I mean, we look at road rage. We have in the road rage down here in the United States. We're looking at that right now. And we have it started in California, now it's been different areas. So the question comes up, what caused road rage? Is it the first time that somebody cuts them off of traffic, Is it somebody flipped off his lights. What caused that person? Then when they start, when did he start carrying a gun in the car? Is it like the fifteenth time that it happened? Is it the twentieth time? Mm-hmm. There is no decision at all and no reports that I've ever seen to actually identify exactly what would be the exact time. A person that's going to be a road rage person.
1: Well, I, I guess it could be for a road rage and active shooter. That that could be almost the the straw that broke the camel's camel's back, so to speak. There could be a, a backstory there that's got them to that point, and then something just you know snap of a finger of sets them off.
2: Yeah, we heard that before, where the guys actually shot people in a road rage and then started shooting other people. So. Hmm. Like I said, there is no – we don't know. I mean, the question I brought up when I was teaching a class at the university, uh, it was a master's program, and they asked me the question. Well, let me ask you a question first. What causes a person to be a DUI drunk driver? Yeah. Because you can't pick out which one's going to be the drunk driver. You can sit there and have everything totally perfect. That guy's going to be a drunk driver, and he's taking turn around, and he asks for an Uber or or a left drive. For a taxi cab, and goes home. You can't because, always think yeah, which uh, one's going to be, be be the
1: DUI driver. So, so how, how do you how can you even plan for that then? Because you would if if you never know who who's going to be an active shooter, who could or what could set them off, who it could be, when it could be, where it could be. How can anybody mm-hmm. ever start preparing for something like that? You know, it's it, well, almost
2: there's two different ways to look at this. And I looked at it from two perspectives. Number one, it gets back to the point, situation awareness. No matter what city I go, no matter where I'm going to, no matter what hotel I'm in, I always have situation awareness, look for the doors, look for the exits, pay attention to the sounds, for my own safety and the people around me. So are we that time? So there is not one particular place. We've seen shootings in churches, we've seen them in malls, we've seen them in hotels, we've seen them in restaurants. So you have to be situation. You know, we just had one not too long ago in the gaming uh, down in Florida. So, oh yes, movie theater, yes. pick one. So by the time you get done, what do you have to do? I always start looking for exits, learning how where I'm going to get out. Try not to be in the middle of the front of the crowd to start with, and figure out I am going to get out of it to start with, and start paying attention to your surroundings. Does that work all the time? At least you're being prepared mentally for it. The other side of the coin, I also teach a class called Small Professional Offices, because a small office like a doctor's office, dentist's office, real estate office, places like that, attorneys, that they have a receptionist, and there's only maybe eight, ten people in the entire building or that park. So the class goes into how do you de-escalate a situation, and what you look at is the person. Now, how would you like to be treated when you go into an office? And that's what you start working backwards on. So it all has to do with your, your voice, your patterns, your movements, your actions. It's the same thing as you're looking at with the person that's in front of you. You don't point and yell at somebody to start with. There's a whole section you look at. There's actually 18 on either side you look at. 18 reasons and things can do for the person. Don't do it for the person. 18 things you can do that you do do to try to help the person. Because the person in front of you is the one that's going to actually cause problems either before, during, or after. And that's what you have to look at.
1: So, it, you know, saying that, you know, if, if I went to a concert or any kind of venue and I'm looking for exits, just out of curiosity, if if we're giving that message, are are we in any way... Uh, spreading some sort of, um, you know, sense of paranoia, or we, or are we just trying to get people to be aware of where they are.
2: Well, one, you're trying to be aware, but number two, you have a responsibility as business owners to take care of your people, the safety mm-hmm. of the people's paramount. When I was at the hotel, I used to have in a card, and I would send a card out to the guests to stay there. I mean, there's thousands of guests to stay there at the Venetian, and. I would send a card to them, the normal card that we would send out through, the, how did you like the dinners, how did you like the restaurants? how did you like the place? And my question was, did you feel safe? And if they didn't feel safe there, I would call them up and find out why they didn't feel safe. And if it was something we did or didn't do or needed to change, then we would take and change it consider it that time. But I took it one step further. I actually asked the staff that I had there, almost 10,000 people that worked that place, Probably 75% of them, I ask them the same question. Do you feel safe here? If they don't, that's what we change. So how do I make somebody that works there feel safe? You help them become safe because safety is what they pass on to somebody else, and that's how they help the guests to get out. Mm-hmm. Who knows the back doors better than the employees? They do. Who can take and show the people shortcuts? They do. Who knows where HR is? If they have a shooting in HR like they had in uh, Boston, that in an HR, and they said, hey, we have a shooting at HR, I have no clue. They personally will say, hey, I know where HR is, let's go this way. Mm-hmm. That's what you're trying to help people with, Just understand how to help each other. You can run, hide, fight, whatever, but the whole point is run. There's four things you need to know right off the bat. Number one, and you can use this under any threat. Number one, what's my distance to the threat? Is it 300 yards? Is it 30 feet? Number two, what's my location to the threat? I'm on the first floor. The the problem's on the third floor. I'm at the end of the hallway. They're at the beginning of the hallway. We have separation. So now we have separation. We have a location. And another one, how much time I have. Do I have 30 seconds? Do I have two minutes? I can do a lot in two minutes. I'm gonna do less than 30 seconds, but if I start thinking well, how to get out ahead of time and what I need to do ahead of time, that's it. And what's the fourth one? What's your ability? Because if I'm a senior citizen, my dad is 92 years old, 92 years old. He walks 10 feet with a walker and oxygen and has to sit down. He can't run. My son is 16 years old, he's legally blind. How do you help him? Because he can't help himself. That's why you help the people to help, the employees to help, the people around to help. And we've seen that a lot where people help each other to get out of situations, to get out of danger.
1: I think we've come to the end of our first segment. You just touched on a few things. I've got some great questions for you when we come back. Um, we're talking today with David Shepard, co-author sorry, of Active Shooter. We'll be right back.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited. Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest, psych up live is heard every thursday at 2 p.m eastern time 11 a.m pacific time on the voice america variety channel we'll turn up your perspective on
3: life have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected.
1: Welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with author David Shepard of uh, the book Active Shooter. Um, David, you had some great points uh, before uh, in our first segment. And I just had a couple of uh, questions for you. Uh, you suggested that, you know, you want to uh, kind of empower and, you know, make sure your employees and everybody understands, you know, um, where exits ex- are and, you know, to help type, type things. But what would you say to someone who doesn't really think there's a threat, who just kind of brushes it off and, you know, thinks that, you know, ah, this won't happen to us, it'll, all, it'll happen to somebody else. What would you say to somebody like that who, who gave you that kind of a response?
2: Well, we've had that going on f- almost forever. That people—I mean, we have it going on right now in um, uh, South Carolina and North Carolina with the hurricane. And I wrote an article once before about 18 reasons why people don't leave from a hurricane. And people will say, "Hey, I've been through one of these before. I don't need to leave. I can take a hold out from here. I don't believe this is really happening to start with. I can protect myself." And that happens all the time. Can you make somebody leave completely? Can you pick them up and throw them out? No, but you can sit there and do as much as you can to take them, help them. But look at this other point. When you're sitting here as a business owner, or you're around people and running any kind of event, are you responsible for all the people in that event? Answer is yes. Whether it be in a restaurant, you're responsible for it. So, how do you help them in a fire? Same type of mm-hmm. thing if you have a shooting. How do you help them in a shooting? Because even in a fire, everybody has a job and a a business has a certain role, responsibility, and duty to take people out of the fire. Same thing's happening now with active shooting. A lot of companies are preparing that way and try to get people out. So back to your original point. Not everybody's going to leave. Not everybody has the ability to leave. So some people in a wheelchair have a buddy system. Now, if we have employees, because I had a certain level of employees to start with, that we look... Because they had a disability, so we try to figure out how to help them. So that was one thing we looked at. But now I would take my staff out, example in the Venetian. I would have two of my people there, and I said, "Look at the crowd right now. Who do we have to help if we have an emergency? Which person do we have to help?" And they would say, "Hey, I see the guy with a walker over there. I see the guy in a cane that's kind of slumped over a little bit. Okay, and I see the one in the wheelchair." So now it comes back to the point: you're going to have to help them. So how would you help them? That's a whole other discussion. But the point comes back right now to this. There's 85 different disabilities, 85%, excuse me, of the disabilities are non-obvious. You won't know somebody just had surgery. You won't know somebody has PTSD. You don't know somebody has Alzheimer's. You don't know somebody is blind. You don't know somebody can't hear. So when you're sitting there with any kind of emergency, we all automatically have to look around. and if I'm looking over a crowd of thirty thousand people, who do I have to help?
1: so how what would you say to an organization in, in their active shooter responses or or disaster responses overall? You know if they are they have guests in their building that you know are in, in wheelchairs or blind or deaf or you know, as you said, eighty five percent of things, you know uh, cannot be. Automatically noticed, uh, I guess is a way of saying it. You know, noticeable. How? What would you suggest for an organization to do to make people aware? You know, if you're in a high-rise, people only ever see a floor at a time. You know, they're not they're not really seeing, you know, the whole building. Who needs help? But you know, if they don't know anybody on their floor that needs help, but yet there could be, you know, what, what would you suggest what, to to what, what organizations I to help them?
2: I, I, I've taught probably 300 classes in the last three years on this.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: out of the 300, that always comes up, and here's my overall point. Start training people. Start exercising. You do it during a fire. You have to train by law on the fire. Start training for an active shooting or any kind of a threat event to take and help the people. And you also plan into that people that are disabled. And you also plan into the four conditions of distance, location, ability, and time. To try to help the people in your building. I'm not going to take and run out of the building right off the bat and leave people. If I'm a student, I can do that. But what if I'm a professor? Do I have to take Mm -hmm. care of the students? If I'm a teacher, do I have to take care of the students? Yes, you do. It's called local apprentice, acting as a parent in a place of Mm -hmm. a parent. So we have to sit there and help the people. We have to help the kids. That's what we're doing. We have Good Samaritan's Laws. And might have Good Samaritan Laws where you, take and if you reach out the hand to help somebody, and you put your hand out, and you say, well, this is too much work, and you drop them. That's where you have a problem because you offer your hand and help. So you have mm-hmm. to stay and help the person. So it's not any different than going by traffic wrecks and accidents there. By law, you're supposed to stop and help them. So yeah. when I tell the company this, it's a matter of training. And if you go through training, you have people in a wheelchair because you automatically have people disabled. And if you have people disabled in your business now, always make sure they're part of your exercise and your training because they have to be trained as well, how they can help themselves and the people around them.
1: So they, they could, uh, organizations can start with, um, you know, the fire drills and and adding in little extra bits till they get to the, the active shooter, right? You know, the mm-hmm. that whole piece, you know. Oh, sure. Because, you know, we not everybody can learn everything all at once, you know, but you can... Slowly added in, you know, right?
2: Yeah, you because know, you also have the, the other side of the coin. It says, all right, we're in a small office, okay? And who's the least, okay, let's say it's a professional office. It's a small professional office. It's lawyers, it's doctors, all right? Who deals with the people coming in right off the street? And who deals with the patients? Receptionist. Mm-hmm. Who's the least trained person in your whole organization? Receptionist. Yeah, but... And who That's needs true. to be trained better than anybody? Your receptionist. And most of those places do not have alarm systems, they don't have security systems. So, how is that person going to take and warn the people in the building, the people in the floor, the people in the office, there's a problem? That's what you start talking about ahead of time. And that's something you should have started talking to that person as a, uh, the receptionist once he took over the job. And that's part of the de escalation. And you figure out when you're going to call in law enforcement. When are you going to take and lock yourself in? And how are you going to take and have an alarm when you don't have one? So a lot of companies, I tell them here, use, a, use an air horn. An air horn is loud. People know exactly there's a problem. Now your job is to take and protect the people in it. And if she gets back in, and all she takes the air horn, goes back, locks herself in the back office, like a lot of people can. Blow the air horn. Everybody knows there's a problem out front. What have you done? You'll help to train persons with a disability. you help to train the people in that office.
1: That, that's, that using the air horn, that's kind of a simple, you know, it, it's a simple tool, you you know, mechanism to, to yep. make, you know, whoever is within distance to hear that, you know, and they're pretty loud. You know, you make everyone well, of you know, what's going on.
2: There's a new company down here in Vegas that's going through putting in these uh, alarm systems for actually, and each person has their own personal alarm. They can send it out. And they pretty much doing it for housekeepers and people that are in rooms and things from there. They're doing that right now. So through the hotel industry is picking it up to have that, where the staff now can take and turn around and hit an alarm that they wear.
1: So works out pretty good. That, that's kind of interesting. You know that, that when I used to work, you know, many, many, many years ago, at a, a convenience store, we had a little uh, alarm that kind of went on our hip that dialed nine one one when we felt threatened. So is it that kind of a device you know, that lets somebody know, hey, I'm in trouble?
2: Yeah, it's a Bluetooth-type uh, program that actually can take and tell you exactly where you are on the property, too, using GPS.
1: Oh, And it dials out to 911, that kind of I, thing? I'll give you an example. I was,
2: I was in the property. It was 20 million square feet of space, and 17,000 people worked there. And if I wow. have a person that is sitting there right now, and then we have an alarm go off, and I say, we use this. We had people that had, you know, medical injuries to start with, and medical illnesses. I had EMT staff. I wanted them to get there as fast as possible. I don't care how big the place is. You get there in three minutes or less. And that's what they have them do, get there in three minutes or less. That's what we try to do with people that are even being one of these things that sets up alarm. you got to be there as fast as possible. The longest mm-hmm. time you have in your life is when you're sitting there watching the clock if you're under a threat. And how do you protect mm-hmm. yourself for a long period of time? So. We
1: can talk about that a little bit later. Well, actually, I was wondering if we could just kind of take a step back a moment, because I'm kind of stuck on this air horn idea and the reception part, only because I remember working in a facility once where, you know, there was just one uh, glass door in the front and you walked in the lobby and there's the receptionist, and then there were three doors behind her that were all locked, you know, so I know she was the only person there. How... Can you walk us through what she should do, or he um, would do, you know, if if a threat walks through the front door? Because you you mentioned the air horn, you know, going back and locking uh, locking themselves behind the door. You mentioned de escalation. I'm wondering if you could kind of give us a little bit of a, a detail on how that would would work, because that that's that's kind of you know where what I'm wondering about right now is going. Okay, how would we de escalate that, you know?
2: When you when you come in right off the bat, you're dealing with a person. What type of person is that? What type of person you're looking at? How do you tell if they're good? How do you tell you're bad? What are they looking at? So, one of the things you have right now. How do you know a person is recognize a threat? How do you recognize a threat? to know the person can be bad. I mean, you can't recognize all the threats. I mean, we had a situation where the guy walked into one place, he turned around, and started firing shots right off the bat. Nobody knew. There was no way that mm-hmm. somebody was going to stop that. That was automatically thrown into it. But if a person walked into an office, a professional office, or any kind of business, and just sit there, well, how do you tell about that person? Well, he talks threats. He talks direct threats, bail threats, conditional threats, specific threats. He talks about prior acts that he's done. He talks even about hurting animals between that and trying to compare the person with an animal. Constant profanity. Irrational comments, raising his voice and yelling, inconsistent, confused thoughts. You know you got a Mm -hmm. problem now. So you start figuring out, hmm, all right, now we got a problem. So how are we going to de-escalate this problem? Now, you're not going to be able to de-escalate every time. So one thing you don't want to do, let me give you some don'ts. You don't raise your Mm -hmm. back and try to make sure you're louder than him. That's not going to work. You don't threaten to demean the person. You don't point your finger at him, poke at him, and tell him to sit down and be quiet. You don't mimic their actions. You don't laugh at them. You don't challenge them. You don't confront them. You don't talk down to them. So there is actually 18 different things you can do to try to help the person. Those 18, I just gave you the ones that you don't do. You don't Uh do that. That's going to cause more problems. What do you do? Well, one of the things you do do is you lower your voice. You talk to palm, come to the person. You shake your head like you understand, not in a grammar just that you understand. You choose your words wisely. You listen carefully. And one big thing you do is you make eye contact with the person 50 to 75% of the time. They want you to know that you're engaged, you're listening to them, and you watch your mm-hmm. movements. You have to watch your movements. No sudden movements, no sudden jerk, the same thing you're watching them. heaven. Mm-hmm. Don't validate your emotion. Don't empathize with your feelings. You can empathize with them a little bit, but don't say, hey, I can see you're completely right. Then you will pick the side, and all of a sudden, he you wants your support. So you listen to the person's tone. And the biggest thing you can do is be honest, be patient, and give them options. Give them options to take and help get out of this problem he just put himself
1: into. Mm-hmm. That's, that's got to be tough for you. Know, somebody... Um like uh, I'll it's use really myself tough for somebody who's not
2: trained. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Well, it's really, it's really tough for somebody who's not trained, and that's what you have to do is start training. The first line of defense is right there. It's gonna take and keep somebody yeah. out of your office in the back of part of your building.
1: And it cause, cause I am picturing myself. You know, how would I react, you know, if I was confronted that way? And having worked in um you know, the hospitality industry you know many years ago. You know, we I encountered a lot of irate you know customers and things like that, and but back then you know there wasn't a, a worry about you know me being physically harmed or you know an active shooter or something like that. Uh, so you know that that training had, well, you know it, it it's got to be tough to 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 be able to to do that for any person who's in that situation. That that can't be easy to get someone to be able to respond that way you know, uh, be calm. Let me me
2: ask you you a question. you're asking questions, let's go back and forth. Why Mm -hmm. would it not be easy? You're actually helping to train a person to help protect themselves. Mm -hmm. It should be easy. You should be able to take and help that person right now to protect themselves and observe the threat that can take and hurt them. Yeah. And that's actually the first line of defense. If that person is out there and she didn't do something right, other people can have... You know, bigger consequences in the back of the house. Right. So the point is train the people. Mm-hmm. Spend time with them. It doesn't cost much to do it. takes time to do it. But make sure they're prepared. I mean, we prepare people all the time for certain yes. jobs. We have a lot of OJT. This is an OJT type thing. <clears throat> you train them initially yeah. what to look for, and you can work through it every day. And you'll realize how much it is to start with. We had one thing with bank robberies. I ran a bank robbery squad, and we were sitting there dealing with the banks. And one of the things we told bank people to start with actually greet the people coming in. Why? Because the people coming into a bank that is a bad person don't want to be recognized. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be confronted. They just want to sneak in and rob and get out. So if somebody walks in and says, Hey, how you doing? What can I help you with? You know, for checking, we we'll want to open up a new account, just throw them
1: off. Yeah, that's yeah, true. You're doing what they yeah, you, you know, they, they actually do that in my bank. You know, even though they see me every, yep. you know, all the time and they know me, they still say, "Hey, mm-hmm. how are you doing? You know, can I help you right away?" And we we do what you said. We make eye contact right away. That's you know.
2: right.
1: So, so yeah, we do it, 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 it all the
2: time. So the real point is, you're training people. Just train the staff. That's going to help you first.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's a great point to end our um, second segment on. Uh, we're talking today with David. Sch- Chippard, co-author of Active Shooter, and we'll be right back.
3: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. News. Opinion. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: Welcome back to the show. We're talking with author David Shepard with his book, Active Shooter. David, some fantastic um, information there in the second segment. I hope uh, Everyone out there listens to this uh, more than once because, uh, like I said during our break, that you know it's really opening my eyes to some different ways of thinking. That you know, because active shooting is you know uh, relatively a new subject for DR people, business continuity people. So, uh, a lot of great information. You did happen to mention. I wonder if you could repeat it uh, during our break about someone that kind of come you know recognizing. When there might be a problem, you know, when someone just walks through the door, you you gave a great example, and I'm wondering if you could kind of uh, recap that for for our listeners.
2: Well, as part of the situation awareness. You're you're trying to figure out what was causing the problem, and one of the things you look at when somebody comes in to start with, and they come in sit down, don't talk to the reception resect- desk right off the bat. Just come and sit down. But every time the door opens up, they automatically turn real quickly to look at the door. They're waiting for some particular person. So even if receptionist would take and turn around and say, how can I help you? And he'll say, I'm waiting for somebody. Receptions can say, well, who's that person? So I'll make sure that uh, and let the doctor know or whoever that you're here. And mm-hmm. the idea is to take and keep de-escalating and looking around that threat. So when somebody starts repeating words back and forth, pointing at others, and if he smells of alcohol, that's a big clue. But, you know, you get into certain areas of which a person is going to give certain signs. That's not, what, do you, what do you expect when you go, when you're next to somebody right now in DMV, or you're waiting in line at whatever, and somebody's behind mm-hmm. you that's being all irate? How do you feel? You feel uncomfortable? And that's what yeah, this I, is about. If you're in an office and you're starting to feel uncomfortable from that there, what are you going to do about it? What's this untrained person currently right now This reception is going to do to take and help protect the people inside that office? And it's not necessarily for a shooting. It's not necessary for a shooting or any kind of thing at all. Is what that particular person right now is wanting to do. Mm-hmm. So the point is, how do you... And then we get back to the do's and the don'ts. And that's where we're talking about the second segment. But it's all about what? that situation awareness. Because how do you, cause I had people come up. We had our parking area outside. where We picked up our employees. But we're looking at those employees, we look at them saying, hey, bye, yeah, great, everything's fine. We're talking to them. Sure we are. But we're also looking around in the area where people are picking them up. Why? What was it's an ex-boyfriend? What's an ex-husband? What if it's a strange husband? So I always want to mm-hmm. make sure I have people in the crowd to make sure that when people are coming out, there's no issues at all.
1: Well, it's interesting you brought that point up because I, I said during our break there was something that triggered my memory from years ago. And again, back to the hospitality industry, I remember telling all my staff that if someone called for them, um, you know, if uh, the phone rings and, you know, they want to speak to Bob, you know, it's, you couldn't, and Bob wasn't there. You weren't allowed to say Bob wasn't there, you know, or Bob is working because we didn't, we didn't know who's at the other end of that call. You know, to your Mm -hmm. point, it could be anybody that, that could come in, you know, all of a sudden, you know, cause Bob harm or, you know, all of a sudden go to his house and, you know, rob him or something like that. We just said, sorry, they're unavailable at the moment, you know, and that's it. That's all they were allowed to say. You, you couldn't ask, is so-and-so working tonight? Is so-and-so off? You know, anything. You could not uh, give that information to people on the phone because we had no idea who was on the other end.
2: Oh, totally true. They have no Because you don't know. Yeah. People don't tell you everything part of their life. They don't really know what's going on. And people don't share it always, so... Yeah. But we're certainly talking about how to help people, and how to help the people that are with so, us. And one of the things that happened, and we have to have clear messages about that.
1: Mm-hmm. And one
2: thing we haven't... So now that we, right now we've... Use code.
1: So, David, <laughs> let, let's say something has happened now. What what can we expect from first responders? What should we do, you know, if something is occurring, you know, or has occurred? you know. What, let, let's go afterwards now, like after the situation. What should we you know, consider?
2: Well, you have different things to look at. You have a response by law enforcement. You have an internal response by the companies. And then you have a recovery program afterwards. But the response by the first responders coming in, they're going to be coming there as fast as they can to take and help people. But they don't know the property. They don't know where the HR is or where the problem is. So they have to take it slower than what you think you do until they learn what's going on. So they listen for sounds, and they need people's help. One thing that happens in these situations, anytime, they need your help. The people that live in those buildings, the work in the buildings, the work in those offices, they need your help. They need to know what's in the inside. They need to know if there's what the person looks like. There's actually 20 things you can do, almost 40 things you can do to take and help the first responders. And give them the fastest way to get there, if you have a person that's helping, we always have people that are responding. As first respondents, we also have part of the staff who take and meet them from the property. They can meet them there, take them to the shortest distance to where the threat is, to take and help people as fast as possible. Give them a description of what's going on, on the inside. Give them a description of what it looks like on the inside. Give them a description of what type of weapons, what type of sounds you've heard on the inside. If the person said anything, there's different things you can do to take and help them. It's all important when they're coming in because they don't know the property. And even if they've been there mm-hmm. once before, if it's a restaurant that's going on, it's a whole different situation when you're going in under an armed conflict because now it's more a more labored type intense direction you're going through to try to help people. Because when somebody comes out, don't make any sudden movements. Always keep your hands up so that you make sure you're not a threat. And they have to work their way through. And when you're in there, Look at it this way. You're running, hiding, or fighting. If you're running out, you're going to run into the law enforcement. They're going to run the other way. And they need to see who you are. That's why you have your hands up. But if you're hiding in the inside, you're barricading yourself in, make it hard for someone to get in. We've got shootings here in schools. How many school shootings have they had in the United States where the person actually broke down the door and the school shooting to shoot people in the classroom? None. Barricade yourself in. They're looking for the path of least resistance. They're looking for how to get people. And then sometimes they're looking for one particular person. So use everything you can. Stack chairs on top of each other. Use filing cabinets. Block anything you can to keep that person from in there. Turn off the lights. Close the shades. And keep sound down. And that's what mm-hmm. you end up doing to help protect.
1: So that's what we should do. For, you know, Our response. And we we should... Obviously, help first responders. You know, um, and mm-hmm. what what if we there's a situation? You know, the person is still in the building, but we know there's, you know, um, I don't want to say casualties, injuries. Should we still mm-hmm. leave, or should we help the person that's injured, or well, does it depend you have on where they are.
2: Schools have thought of that because here's one thing to start. Okay. Now, most of the shootings, the first responders get there, the shootings themselves, well, the first responders get there between three to five minutes. A lot of times closer to three minutes. A lot of the shootings are over and within five minutes. But we've had longer shootings. How long was the Mm -hmm. Pulse nightclub shooting? Three hours. How long was the Washington Navy Yard shooting? One hour and nine minutes. How long was the shooting at the Planned Parenthood in Colorado Springs, Colorado? Five hours and 19 minutes because they thought he had uh, explosives, and they also had hostages. So it takes the person longer. So even if mm-hmm. you're sitting there inside that particular place, and somebody's been injured, how do you help them? Well, the, some of the tapes and video show right now, Take leave. lead people don't stop to help the injured. The first responders are going to do that. Well, right off the bat, the first responders coming in as the law enforcement, they're not going to stop for anybody. They're going to go by people that are injured just to take and stop the threat so there's not more people there that are injured. Mm-hmm. They go through. We have here in Las Vegas, we have the our first responders, our law enforcement, but their first responders are also our paramedics and our fire department people. They also have ballistic vests and Kevlar helmets to go in. They actually go in faster. So they're trying to be prepared. They're not armed with weapons, but they're going to go in to take and help people. We've unfortunately had people die because they're not going in fast enough to help people. If you're sitting there and you have a situation where you can take and help somebody there, and if you're in a situation which you have people, they are in a barricaded room and somebody's bleeding, then you help them. Of course, you're going to help them. Mm-hmm. But you have to look for your own safety. How do you help yourself and the people around you? Back to distance, location, ability, and time. If he's on the fourth floor, I'm on the first floor, and there's a person there that's injured, I'm going to help him. I'm going to help him get out. I'm going to help him that particular time because there is a separation. You have to keep those things in mind when you're going through this.
1: And I guess that comes down to you know the training and awareness because the situation is going to dictate what you can and cannot do.
2: True. They're all different. You- there's not one stereotype type program that goes for each one. Sometimes they just do the same. We've had as many as 10% of the active shooters have walked off. Walked off? What do you mean walked off? They actually shot the person they wanted to shoot, put their gun in their pocket, and walked out of the building. I had one in the hospital, the guy tried to get away through the uh, the uh, wearing a, a um, lab coat, like other people in the hospital. So wow. they did what they wanted to do. Not always the same type shooting.
1: That's right. So We've
2: had ones before that used a vehicle that blow into a restaurant and come out and start shooting people there. We had one person that turned around and just shouted supervisor and committed suicide. Hmm. So it doesn't mean he's gonna take and automatically turn into a great big shooting. You don't know.
1: That's right. So we only have four minutes left and you mentioned something, uh, um, you mentioned hostages. Can you take two minutes mm-hmm. to kind of say as a hostage, what if I'm a hostage, what should I and do and not do?
2: Well, that's always a tough question. Mm-hmm. Because when you sit there as your hostage, you're into a situation of which you never know what the person's going to do. You've just taken your way to escape away from you. You've taken your options away from you. And usually they put you on the ground. They put you in an area. Or they just point going Who knows what they're going to do? There's not one straight way to do it. But the whole thing comes back into, what do you expect the law enforcement to do, and how long are you going to be there for that one? That's why I brought up the thing on Pulse nightclub, and the one with mm-hmm. the um, uh, shooting in Planned Parenthood. They thought they had hostages. That's why they didn't go in for Pulse nightclub because people were alive in the bathroom, and they, they pretty much concluded that they were hostages because he's on the phone with them. So you're going to be there for a while. Even if you're not a hostage, here's what happens. If you're in a shopping mall, like the one we had in Baltimore, where they did shooting there, and the police goes through, how long could you expect to hide out in a mall if you're trying to make sure that the person doesn't go in? It took them mm-hmm. four hours to clear the mall. It takes them a while to go space by space. But if you're sitting there, it's back to ability again, back to your mental and physical ability, what are you going to do in a hostage situation?
1: And I, guess and some I can't of that tell you what training, to do
2: or not
1: to do. And, and I guess maybe some so of that a, training, that uh, you know, um, de-escalating too, would, would that come into play, a little bit of that? Or try to, depending on well, the situation? Well, it, it,
2: does, it does in some regard, but overall it doesn't, because at that particular point, the guy has changed his de-escalation point to a whole different um, scenario. It's oh, no okay. longer that person you can rationally deal with.
1: Oh, Interesting. Um, so we have two minutes left. Do you have, would you like to say one last thing about um, active shooter you know, in, in, in a minute, your closing thought, something you want everyone to take away?
2: One thing I want to take and point out to people is the fact that you can take care of yourself and the people around you. If you're back again looking at distance, location, ability, and the time, your situation of being aware of where you are, the noises and sounds around you, and you start paying attention to what people are doing. And it doesn't matter if you're in a workplace, if you're in a restaurant, you're in a hotel, start paying attention. Is that normal yeah. anymore? Um, unfortunately, we're starting to change a little bit. At least down here we are. And because look at all of the shootings we're having right in Chicago, there's another, last weekend, I think it's 72 again, we're shot up there. So you're going to pay attention. You're not going to go to certain areas, but we're actually paying attention to all that now.
1: And I think that's a good And The
2: last thing I was going to take and say is the responsibility of the business owners to start training people, and especially your front staff that's going to be dealing with the public, and dealing with anybody like you do in a fire, start looking for another type area, which is active shooting, de-escalation stuff from there, to take and have people start protecting themselves and the people around them.
1: I think that's a, a good good point to, to end on, awareness and training, you know, but... Uh, That's what it comes down to. David, I want to thank you very much for joining us to talk about Active Shooter and your book, Active Shooter, Preparing for and Responding to a Growing Threat. Um, Congratulations on the book. It is enjoyable. I do recommend it to everybody. Um, You've given us a lot of uh, interesting things to think about. I know you've opened my eyes uh, on a few subjects here. So thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you. quite welcome.
1: And to everybody out there, stay prepared, everybody.